Guys, welcome to Reengage. One of my favorite parts of every week is getting to hear a story. And uh, you guys are in for a treat tonight as Trey and Cheryl O'Neill are, are going to share their story. And um, as you, as they share tonight, uh, one thing I want you to know about this couple that, that we have gotten to know them just a little bit and, and uh, their authenticity, their desire to reach out and to help others is, is just incredible. We've watched them uh, not only in Reengage, but in the church as a whole, um, just minister to others selflessly. And so as you listen to their story tonight, um, I just want you to, to really take note of, of what Christ has done in their lives. And I want to pray for you guys, and then I'll kick it off, let y'all kick it off. Father, we just come before you tonight, and I want to lift up Trey and share to you, and I just ask, Lord, that you would um, just be with them tonight as they share this story, as they share your story of what you've done in their lives. Lord, I, um, I thank you for um, their dedication, for the time that they spend um, not only pursuing you, but pursuing others. Father, we um, just want to ask that you would open the hearts and minds of those who are in this room tonight, those who are here who are hurting, those who are um, just looking for some hope. God, I just ask that you would show them your hope in this story tonight. Father, we love you and we praise you. We thank you so much uh, for the gift of your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Uh, like you said, my name is Trey. This is my wife, Shara, and we're just uh, a couple months shy of celebrating um, 18 years of marriage. And uh, yeah, we have we have uh, four kids, senior in high school, down to um, 10. 10, 10 years old. 10 or 10, <laughs> whatever. When you got four, it doesn't that matter. age range, <laughs> she just holds on. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so thank you for being here tonight, and here, here's our story. Uh, I was born in Oklahoma and raised there and in Texas in a fiercely competitive alpha male environment as the third born of four boys. Focus on church, God, athletics, and education were highlighted in my household. My parents were strong believers and a great model of commitment in marriage and although I knew they had disagreements, I never questioned that they were in it for life. Because girls, uh, other than my mom, were never around our house growing up, I was typically very uncomfortable and insecure around them. I was introduced to pornography around age 13, and it was present in my life in various forms well into our marriage. My teenage years were filled with doubt regarding my status with God. I claimed to love him and follow him, but in practice, I pursued desires of my flesh and never, ever pursued a daily relationship with him. Most of the time, this left me simply hoping that the salvation prayer I'd prayed would be enough to get me to heaven. My life was defined by Paul's words in Titus 3.3. Once we too were foolish and disobedient, we were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. Uh, by my 22nd birthday, I had attended three different universities, had no credit to show for it, and was breaking off inappropriate relationships with other girls because Shara and I had found out that she was pregnant, 
uh, with our first child. After a three-week engagement, I found myself married to a girl I had known less than a year, and we would be parents soon. I'll leave that as a cliffhanger. Um, I was raised in a Christian home as the youngest of four kids. I went to Christian school my entire life, including college. And we were in church anytime the doors were open, and we were usually serving in some capacity in our family. I had a godly heritage that was even passed down from my grandparents, but so much of it was rooted in legalism and not really dealing with heart issues or truly understanding God's love for me. So Trey and I met um, the, my, in my freshman year of college. He had transferred to our small college in Wisconsin, and he was definitely the new Texan on campus. Um, I had just gotten out of a relationship and had sworn off boys for a while, but as we got to know each other, that feeling quickly went away. Uh, we enjoyed being with each other so much. Um, things started pretty slow, but after he came back from summer, <laughs> my sophomore year, um, to play football, our relationship progressed very quickly. Within a few months, we were sexually active, and a couple of months after that, we found out that I was pregnant. I never questioned what the next step would, would be for us. I loved him, and he loved me, and we were having a baby together. So we were married about five weeks after we told our parents of the news. But our honeymoon ended really before it even started. We quickly found out that I don't handle pregnancy well at all. That was like perfect timing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so um, I was sick the entire nine months. We were in church, but we didn't really have any type of community to spur us on during this hard stage of life. And so we were just trying to figure this all out on our own. Um, I also found out in that first year that Trey had been unfaithful while we were dating, and I was totally blindsided by that, Um, and that definitely added to the stress. I remember hearing growing up that your first year of marriage is your easiest. I was committed, but I was like, this is going to be a really long life here. Um, We still loved each other, and we really enjoyed being with each other, but all of the outside stressors made for some really difficult times. So our family continued to grow very quickly in these first few years. We had our third child right after we celebrated our fourth wedding anniversary. If you're counting, that's about 27 months of sickness. Um, Our marriage wasn't bad at that point, but I would say most of our early years were marked by mediocrity. We went to church, but we were a far cry from being true Christ followers. We looked good enough on the surface, and even if you could see what was going on day to day, but we were not loving each other really well or seeking to follow what the Bible's view of marriage really was. So I met Shara in the church I attended while in college in Wisconsin. Her personality immediately put me at ease and we always had a really great time together. After we got married, I dropped out of school and went to work full-time in the small town uh, where we met in Wisconsin. I still carried considerable doubt about my relationship with Christ I claimed that I was a Christian, but as I looked at my past, all I saw was damaged relationships, hurt, and no pursuit of a relationship with Jesus when left to my own devices. In the months following our marriage, I wrestled with with assurance of my relationship with Christ. So many bad choices from my past, combined with continual sin struggles, had me in a place where I just wasn't sure. Finally, I came to a place that I accepted that my salvation was dependent on Christ's assurance in John 5, 24. 
I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. I enjoyed married life. Sharon and I have always had a really good time together, but my relationship with Christ looked a lot like sitting in church on Sundays. Most of the time, uh, really checked out of that. I tried to be a good guy, and I read Bible stories to my kids. Shara was always very plugged into church in Wisconsin, and later on when we moved to Texas, I saw her spend regular individual time in the Word. For the most part, we got along pretty well, but when we would disagree over finances, parenting, or other life decisions, she would approach me and ask if I was spending time alone with the Lord. She would beg me to step up and be the spiritual leader of our family. She urged me out of the complacency and complete selfishness that defined my existence. My approach was to tell her what she wanted to hear to get her off my back and continue on with whatever distraction I could find. Um, and that took shape in various things, grad school, um, attending athletic events, etc. I would read a devotional book and pray anytime our backs were against the wall financially or we had a big decision coming up. Well, in case you didn't know this, Texans like to be in Texas. So after our first few, year, few years of marriage in Wisconsin, we moved to Texas. So things mainly stay the same in our marriage, but we added in another baby and we began to have turmoil with some extended family that lived in the area. And for me, that move brought along this idea of looking like I had to have the perfect life and have everything together. Um, we had great friends at church, but still not authentic community. So when our youngest was about a year and a half old, um, we decided it would be a great time for both of us to go back to school. We were obviously delusional. Um, Trey wanted to finish his master's and I wanted to finish my undergraduate. And so the fall of 2009 proved to be a very busy one. He was teaching and coaching and in school and I was in school and also coaching and tutoring all while trying to be a stay-at-home mom to four young kids. I deal with craziness pretty well, but during this season, I stopped having my personal daily time in the Bible. There just wasn't enough room for everything in the day, and that was the first thing to go. I was not putting on the whole armor of God that's talked about in Ephesians 6 to be able to resist the enemy in times of evil. Satan was about to attack our family, and there was no preparation being made for this battle. We had some family friends from church that we spent quite a bit of time with on the weekends. They were just a little bit older than us. We enjoyed being with them, and in even some ways, we looked up to them. The husband began calling me on the phone, and it was always for a good reason, and I didn't keep anything from Trey about it at first, but soon the calls became more frequent. I knew something was off, but um, I just thought, it's no big deal. I can just handle it. Well, this relationship began to grow at a pretty quick pace. Um, I didn't go looking for an affair, but I found myself smack dab in the middle of one in no time at all. It grew emotionally and before long sexually as well. Every hurt that Trey had ever caused me and we had never really dealt with or I had never really dealt with became my justification for continuing on. And then once it reached a certain point, I thought there is no going back because Trey will never forgive me. I stayed in it because I thought, well, this is the path I've chosen, and now I just have to deal with it. The family relocated within a couple of months of the um, affair beginning, and um, it continued on for about seven more months. 
During this time, I had isolated myself from friends and family and was literally driving myself crazy trying to keep up with my sin. Um, I hardly slept, I hardly ate, and I was a mess. I believed every lie that Satan was telling me, and I had become a slave to all of it. John 8, 34 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. So despite the fact that as a little girl, I had asked Jesus into my life, and he wanted nothing more for me to live in that freedom, I was enslaved to my sin and keeping up with it. I had quenched the Holy Spirit, and I was fighting a losing battle on my own. So the whole relationship came to a screeching halt about nine months after beginning. We had our crazy Jerry Springer moment in the middle of the night, complete with words neither of us had ever heard each other say in a whole lot of screaming. I had been found out, and I really thought it was the end of our marriage. He would never take me back after finding out the truth. But I was proven wrong. After the initial shock, he started fighting hard for us and our family. Trey spent time in prayer over me and reading scripture over me that first night. He left for work the next morning, and when I woke up, I began reading in the Psalms, and it was the first time I had opened up my Bible since before it had all started about nine months prior. I began reading in Psalm 51, where David is pleading that God created him a new heart and restore him. I was broken. I asked God to forgive me and ended the relationship immediately. And when Trey got home that day, he said, I have my wife back. The fall that I began in grad school, Cher and I began to really drift apart. I was busy with schoolwork and spending time uh, with this guy from church, playing tennis and whatever else we could come up with to distract ourselves. I generally ignored anything serious at home, and when Cher and I had disagreements, they would quickly escalate, and I would try to hurt her with what I said. I found out about Cher's affair one night when we were home alone. Our kids were in Colorado and were thankfully spared uh, those wheels-off moments that first night. Um, Following the blow-up, I remember sitting in our kitchen that night, facing the reality that my wife was going to leave me and I was on my way to being a single dad. The next day, I met with two pastors that I had known for a long time. I was advised to not let anyone know what had occurred and given some books to read on the topic of forgiveness. They they also offered to listen anytime I needed to talk. In the first year after the affair came to light, I was so eager to distance from those incredibly difficult days I was so insecure about whether or not Cheryl loved me or would stay around that I dove headfirst into every Bible-based marriage resource I could find. I prayed continually, asking God to protect Cheryl's heart and break the emotional bonds that were formed through the affair. I prayed that the Lord would help me to forgive her. I prayed for the man involved that the Lord would help me to forgive him because I certainly did not want to. One passage the Lord brought me to quickly is James 1, 2 through 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Early on, I could not understand how I could be expected to give thanks for what had happened. But as I saw Shara restored and our relationship began to heal, 
it became easier for me to see how the Lord is able to work all things for good. The next two to three years were a roller coaster for me. I was in a pattern of looking for security in Shara and trying to be the best husband I could be, and things were great. In those times when I was doing good, um, just in the flesh, trying, I would pray periodically. I wouldn't really spend any time in the Word and just try not to think about what had happened. Then the memories of what had happened would come crashing back, and all I could focus on is how much pain I was going through. Shara became a target at these times, and all I wanted to do was to hurt her so that she would know how bad she had hurt me. I went to church but spent little to no time in the Word on my own. I saw friends at church but did not share life and community with any of them. No one outside of Shara's parents and the two pastors I initially told even knew what had happened. During this time, in the summer of 2011, Sharon and I found reengaged through an online resource, and as we attended Open Group, it was encouraging to me to hear of other couples who had been where we'd been in some cases, and the Lord had seen them through it. Although Sharon and I had both grown up in church, this was our first taste of biblical community, and once we had a closed group, it was such a relief to be able to share what had happened with others. Going through the lessons brought me face-to-face with what Jesus Christ did for me and always brought me to one question. Considering the forgiveness and love that Jesus extends to me in the face of my guilt and shame, what could Shara possibly do that I could not forgive her for? I don't expect to ever be able to fully wrap my mind around the gospel, how a perfect father could send his perfect son to take all my sin on him and die in my place so that I can have a relationship with Christ and one day enter heaven. For the first time in my life, I had to consider the gospel and how my response to it would then affect me on a very real level within my marriage. Colossians 3.13 is clear. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Through a series of events related to our jobs and family, Sharon and I found Watermark in the spring of 2014. Simply put, life has never been the same. I have constantly been spurred on by the teaching each Sunday and also been so blessed to run with men who walk daily with the Lord. They know God's word and let it direct their lives and encourage me and lovingly hold me accountable to do the same. Mine and Sharon's marriage is far from perfect. Difficult days still come. I have learned that the best thing I can do with any circumstance is trust that God loves me more than I'll ever understand, faithfully thank him for allowing it in my life, and ask him to use it to draw me closer to him. For a long time, I asked God, why this? Why, of all things, why did you allow this in my life? Now I look back and know that, in, that God in his unbelievable kindness was waking me up to the gospel his incredible love and sacrifice for me. I am so thankful for the Lord's grace and mercy and that his goodness has allowed our family to stay together as a unit. Most of all, I'm thankful that Titus 3.3 is not the end of my story. Verses four and five say, but when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. 
Well, despite growing up in a Christian home, it took God saving our marriage for me to see how much he really loves me. He loved me enough to show me grace at my worst and revive our dead marriage. That being said, the restoration process between two broken and hurt people isn't easy, and usually it's very hard. My dad is a man of few words, but he gave me some great advice in the beginning and reminded me that even though I might be good to go and ready to get past it, others, and in this case, Trey, may not be in that same place yet. God's taught me so much through this, and he continues to. One thing he has taught me is that I need him. 1 Peter 5.8 tells me that Satan is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. Satan knows what I like. He knows what I don't like. He knows when I'm frustrated with Trey, and he knows when I'm down on life. He wants nothing more than to see our family fall prey to him. Being good enough because I go to church and because I um, generally am good is not going to cut it when I'm being attacked. I have to continually arm myself with his word and surround myself with people who care enough to speak truth into me. We've had a couple of friends and our re-engage group that allowed us to process and heal according to the promises and truth of the Bible, which we are so thankful for. Another thing that God has shown me is that he wants to deliver me from the chains of sin, and he has the power to do so. Romans 6, 6 says, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Since the point where he broke me, I have never wondered what if or what would have been, and that's only because of God's power over sin in my life. I have been so far from, perf- from perfect in the past few years, but I know that God has graciously allowed me not to look back on the allure that that sin had, and I praise him for that. Lastly, God has shown me that his way is perfect. I have done a pretty good job of getting off track from the life that God wants to give me, but I've also seen firsthand the goodness when I do obey him and when I seek to live like him. Even doing hard things like sharing this story um, has brought about healing in relationships outside of our marriage, including relationships with our extended family. 1 Timothy 1.16 says, But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. He, it has brought me so much joy knowing that he loves me, he's forgiven me, and that he's using our story of hope and restoration to give others hope. Thank you all so much for letting us share tonight.